Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talaya Dendi. I am a 10-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. This podcast is about sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who made it on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Hello, and welcome to Navigating Cancer Together. I am your host, Talaya Dindi. Today, our very special guest, and I mean special because she has some really great information to share about something that we all possess and that we all need. Her name is Kim Sorrell. Kim Sorrell is an entrepreneur, a director of a nonprofit organization. She's also an author, a speaker, and lover of all people. Four months after receiving a breast cancer diagnosis, her husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Unfortunately, he passed away just six weeks later. Kim began questioning the true meaning of love, so she dedicated a year to figure it out. I bet that was a very interesting year. We'll learn more. The things that she's discovered about love are unlike anything you've ever heard before and are chronicled in her book called Love Is. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Talia, I am so excited to be here. I've so been looking forward to this. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and it's a blessing, Kim. I am so excited to talk with you about this very touching and amazing topic. And even after talking with you, it became more apparent that once you truly understand what love is, it can change your life. Kim, let's start off. Please walk us through your cancer journey. Sure. My husband and I had just become empty nesters and we're really excited about being empty nesters. We started having kids a couple years into our marriage and we had a lot of them. And so when they finally flew the coop, we were excited to have some time together. A month into this time, I got a phone call on a Friday afternoon saying that I had breast cancer and I don't even remember what else they said because I heard those words and was shocked and dismayed and didn't even know how to breathe. The diagnosis hit me like a ton of bricks, like it does anybody. Anytime you hear the word cancer, I knew nothing about it. I went to the bookstore and everything was depressing or medical. And I thought, I want to know what this feels like. I want to know what I'm going to go through. Who do I talk to? What do I do? So thank you so much for what you're doing, because you weren't there when I was going through this. I would have loved to have had you in my corner. I went through what I needed to is going through surgeries and whatever. And then my husband started having stomach issues just about a month, a few weeks into my diagnosis. And the doctor said, oh, it's just nerves, you know, take some Tums because of what Kim's going through, whatever. And he went back two months later because it wasn't getting resolved. And the doctor said the same thing. Oh, just take some Tums, but I'll send you to a gastro guy. It was another month and a half before he could get into a gastro person. And when he did, 
they said the same thing, take some Tums. And he's like, I know my body and this is not normal stomach issues. I happen to be doing the lovely colon cleanse because the day after his appointment, I was going to have a colonoscopy and a complete hysterectomy because of Mm -hmm. the breast cancer I had. I didn't get to go with him to the doctor. So a week later, as I'm still laying in bed watching Grey's Anatomy reruns, he's just in pain. And I said, that's it. Go to the ER. At least they'll run a test. They'll do something. They'll do something for you. And so sure enough, he drove himself to the ER and I'm home in my sweatpants and sweatshirt and get a phone call. I guess they're going to keep me overnight. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, keep you overnight. They don't keep anybody overnight. On a Friday night, they're going to keep you overnight. What is that? So I hop in my car and drive like a mad woman in my Vicodin induced state. And I'm almost there and the phone rings again. And he said, I guess there's a spot on my liver. I just started bawling and I don't even remember parking the car. I do remember running into the hospital, holding all parts of my hurting body. They told me where he was and it was behind a curtain and I whipped the curtain back and he was just sitting on the edge of the bed, like nothing was going on. And I'm bawling. He said, listen, I am not going to invite you out anymore if this is the way you're going to behave. <laughs> and I'm thinking, buddy, you don't get to be fun right now. It took us a few more days before a diagnosis, like it always does. It takes time to get an accurate diagnosis. And pancreatic cancer is one of the worst. Yes. Not the worst one that you can get. There is not a lot that you can do about pancreatic cancer. And it's just a matter of time. We just had a fabulous six weeks together. We watched cash cab and played cards and whatever we did. We just had a great time together. Never in a million years thinking it was only six weeks, Mm -hmm. but we, from the very beginning, we just prayed, Lord, either heal them like you did the lame, the sick, the deaf, or the greatest thing of all, because I believe in God, I believe in an afterlife and I believe heaven is a great place. The greatest healing of all is heaven. And, but please don't let him suffer. That was our prayer. Please don't let him suffer because it's a painful cancer. And we, like I said, had to create six weeks together and he was not suffering and he didn't suffer until the very end. He woke up in the morning and was just in pain. I called the hospice nurse and they came over and they gave him extra morphine and he was sitting on the edge of the bed because his stomach just hurt so bad that he hurt to lay down. I was hanging onto him from behind because I didn't want him to fall off the bed. And so I was hanging on to him, hanging on tight. And I could just tell he was in such misery, misery that I just, I whispered in his ear. I just said, baby, just go. And just like that, he left. And it was completely merciful for sure. Wow, Kim, that is a lot. Thank you so much for sharing that story, your story with us. I remember we had a conversation you were also diagnosed with bladder cancer in conjunction with breast cancer. That is a lot to manage and take on. How did you learn about that diagnosis? And then how did you manage it all? It was during my hysterectomy that they saw polyps or whatever they saw. And fortunately, there was a doctor wandering around, a urologist. And so he came into the surgery and removed tissue and it ended up being cancer, bladder cancer. And that's been extremely manageable. There's different kinds of different cancers, right? So there's different kinds of bladder cancers and some are very aggressive and some not as aggressive. And mine, I just have to go once a year for a bladder biopsy and 
If there's something there, they take it out. And if not, then I have a year of clean. So that's good. Okay. And so it's very manageable. But at the time I had no idea what to expect, of course, with bladder cancer, but it was a lot for sure to deal with. One of the things that I did was I wrote, I wrote, it, it ended up becoming a book, but I, I wrote how I was feeling and what I was going through because that was very helpful to me. It was very therapeutic for me. And so writing through my cancer and then my husband's diagnosis and then him passing, it was, things got pretty intense there for a while. That certainly helped me out. And I loved that man. Yeah. And I loved him so much. And something kind of interesting is that as I have met women, I was 47 when my husband passed away. And as I have met women who have lost their spouse or their partner, the people, the women that my experience, the women that didn't have such a great relationship going on have the hardest time, it seems, with losing their person. There's probably regrets. There's, I don't know, whatever comes into play. People that I run into that had a great relationship are thrilled that they had a great relationship and thankful. Like I am, I know I had it better than most people have it their whole lives. And so I'm grateful for the time that we had together. I miss him like crazy. I bet. it if I could, but I can't. And, but I'm grateful for the time I had with him. It's such a blessing, Kim, that you guys had six weeks together and you were able to do things together. Even if it was just watch a TV show, you were able to have that intimate time together where you can just truly enjoy each other's company. Please share with us, Kim, how you felt in that moment when you knew that he was getting closer to the end. It's an interesting thing. During the six weeks, there were times that I would just start crying and he would hold me and say, don't cry for me. Don't cry for me. Cry for yourself because you're staying here. I get to go to glory. I get to go someplace great. So don't cry for me. And the first time he said that to me, I'm like, what are you talking about? You want to leave me? You can't want to leave me. And of course he didn't want to leave me, but he didn't have a choice. It's not like you pick it. And so later as time went on, I realized that's the best thing he could have said to me because really it's us that stay behind that hurt Yes. and trying to get through that hurt is what we spend our lives doing because whoever it is that we lose. So when it was the moment when I knew that he was just so miserable and I just hated the thought of him being miserable. And in that same moment, the hospice nurse is there and she was on the phone calling for a hospital bed and a commode and getting all this equipment in. And up until then, we'd just been together, just been us and in bed together at night and whatever. She's calling for this stuff as I'm told him, baby, just, baby, just go. And I wailed. It was my very first reaction when he was gone. It just was this pent up emotion, I think inside that I just had to let loose and let go. But then really, I was grateful that he, so many people linger and suffer. They can take weeks, months. I even had said to her shortly before this, the same morning, 15 minutes earlier, I said, I've got kids out of town. Do I call them? What? And she said, no, you've got lots of time. You've got Uh lots of time. And we had another 15 minutes. Who would have known? I'm 
just ended up being grateful that his suffering was so short. I understand that, Kim, because that's the last thing we want for ourselves and others that we love, especially, is to suffer. And it's a blessing, I say, no matter the cancer in six weeks, it's a blessing that you had that time together. A lot of people don't have that time. They just get a call and say, hey, your significant other was in an accident. Unfortunately, they passed away. Please come identify the body. Like, it's that extreme for some people. And I can only imagine how tough that is in itself. So being able to, in a sense, prepare a little bit and get that time in, I think is amazing gift that someone can have. Kim, based on everything that you've been through with cancer, what advice do you have for people who have been recently diagnosed or they're into survivorship and they're trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces and move forward. That you understand that there are some things beyond your control. There are some things you have zero control over. Like you you wouldn't pick cancer. You wouldn't pick to be in the position that you're in. No one's going to choose that. But there are, there are things that we just have no control over. So the things that we do have control over, take control of those things. So we get to control how we face each day. We get to control if we're going to be a victim or a champion, if we're going to rise above or if we're going to wallow in self-pity. We get to pick that. And we all have wallow moments. We all have those moments when it's, woe is me. Why am I having to go through this? But it doesn't have to be every day, all day, every day. Get over the moment. Let yourself be miserable for half an hour, you know, whatever, an hour. You know, be miserable and say, why me? If that's what you need to do. But then realize you don't want to live in that victimhood. Be a champion. And what can you learn from this? And what choices do you get to make? You get to make choices about your own and how you're going to treat others and how you're going to turn this horrible diagnosis, this icky thing that you're going through into something positive. Yes. Kim, you mentioned that you had children at the time who were away. How did your husband's passing impact your children? And what ways were you able to help them through the grieving process? I think as a mom, you think that you've got to be the strong one. Mm -hmm. Sure felt that way, that I had to be strong for my kids. And so I did more grieving in private than I did in front of my kids. In hindsight, that probably wasn't healthy. That was probably healthier for them to see me grieve and just grieve alongside them. I, I felt like I needed to be strong because here first they're dealing with my diagnosis that hit them out of left field, came and then here it is. And that's hard enough, I think, to have a parent with a diagnosis like that. Yes. And then to lose another parent within a couple months of each other so quickly that was just a lot for them and so I just tried to be the strong one for them I think they probably tried to be the strong ones for me as well and it hit different kids different ways every kid has a different relationship with a mom and a different relationship with a dad two kids can grow up in the same household and have two totally different experiences Mm -hmm. what it always happens and certainly my kids all loved their dad very much and they were all close with their dad and miss him like crazy and it was hard to lose them they were they were young and I I have friends my age that their parents are still alive I think it's a wonderful thing so to lose their dad as young as they lost their dad the thing that's been hard the hardest thing about it 
is when they bring up stories from their youth. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not what happened. And I have no backup. There's nobody here saying, you're right. Your mom's right. That's what, this is how it went down, son. Your mom's That's right. important. That's right. That's right. I've got no backup, but yeah, but they're doing great. And it had probably the largest impact on my youngest. Yes. No. He was doing his undergrad at the time. In fact, he was in the Navy first and then oh. used the GI Bill to do his undergrad. So everybody who's listening, thank you for paying for my son's education. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. He appreciates that very much. But he knew he wanted to do something medical, he thought, but he decided to become a cancer researcher. Wonderful. So now has a PhD. He's a cancer researcher and decided to go get his MD so that he has that as well. But yeah, and breast cancer is his gig. That's what he's been nice. doing. Nice. Making I love that. Oh my goodness. That just warms my heart because we need more people like your son. And it's tough. It's a lot. It's a lot of schooling, but man, the lives that you can save and help. So kudos to your son. I really like the way you and your children are choosing to honor your husband by remembering the things that happened in the past. And you can joke and laugh about it or say, that's not how it went down. And so that's a wonderful way to honor someone that you love. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We also built a vocational school in the Dominican Republic. That is the Sorrell Vocational School. And so, yeah, his legacy lives on. And so, yeah, but right. I love the stories. I love talking about him and I love the stories. I love it. Kim, since we're talking about what we love, how about you tell us your meaning of love? What is love to you? I took this year, right? That I, I questioned love, the reality of love. It's not like you go to the store and buy a manual on love or love for dummies. We learn about love growing up. We learn from our parents or whoever's around us. And not everything we learn about love is necessarily true. And it's been this mystery, right? What is love really? And is that love? Songs are written about it. Poems mm -hmm. are written about it. Books are written about it. So I decided I was going to figure this thing out. And so I took this 2000 year old poem that you hear at a lot of weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. And I decided I would take one word a month and figure out what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And most of the time I was doing it, I was in Haiti of all places in the world. And the things that I found out just blew my mind. No one of those 14, so it took me a little longer than a year, 14 <laughs> is's and isn'ts of love is what I expected it to be. Not one not one. I discovered that you put love is or love is not in front of a word and it totally changes the definition. And so it was huge for me. I tell the stories of discovery and they're a little wild. Like I was chased by a motorcycle gang. I got lost on a mile high mountain with a medical wow. student in the dark, whatever, some crazy stuff happened while I was there that led me to figuring out what is love that is kind or love that does not hold record of wrongs, whichever one I was working on. Yeah. And so love is, I think, a lot different than what people realize. Mm -hmm. And what love really is, it is the most freeing thing in the entire world. There is no freedom like loving yourself and loving people the way love really is by love's true definition. It is the greatest freedom 
you can possibly have. Kim, what led you to Haiti? And then please give us an example. You mentioned how we can put is or isn't in front of love and it can change the definition. Please give us an example of that as well. Sure. When I was finally ready to go back to work physically, I wasn't sure if I was going to go back into my businesses that then were being run by people, whatever, or back into the nonprofit world or what I was going to do. So I I took a job as part-time bookkeeper of a nonprofit organization that my father and I had started 10 years before. And 12 days later, there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed 200,000 people. So within two weeks, I was in Haiti. And then for the next several years, I spent at least part of every month in, in Haiti and love Haiti. I love Haiti. And Haitian people have it rough. It's a tough place to work. It's a tough place to go. It's a bunch of beautiful, wonderful people in real tough conditions. And so learning about love there, I think amplified things really Mm -hmm. out of the gates. Love is patient. I'm thinking, oh, this is easy. You know what patience (laughs) is. I know what patience is. Mm -hmm. I can write the chapter right now. What am I thinking? But then the entire month I'm going, love is patient. I'm looking for it everywhere and trying to figure it out. What I figured out about love that is patient is it's not patience. It's not getting mad because you're stuck in traffic or he's running late. You're not getting all upset. It's not patience. Love that is patient is entirely different than that. Love that is patient. First of all, I believe you're supposed to love everybody. So love that is patient, loves the person you're with enough to realize that this is the most important moment of your life. What's in the past is in the past. What's in the future is yet to come. This is the moment. This moment is going to come and go with or without you. And for me, this has taken a lot of practice because it's easy for me. I thought I was skilled in a certain way where I could be thinking about a meeting I had later today, along with what I needed to stop and get at the grocery store while paying complete and total attention to the person that I was with. And I discovered that's absolutely not true. I I can't, I need to focus and love that his patient does that. It totally focuses, is totally present in the moment with the person that you're with. So with the person at the grocery store or your best friend, or your spouse or your three-year-old, with the person that you're with, totally engaged. And what's amazing is what happens when you do that. Because when you do that, first of all, you recognize quickly that the person you're with is way more important than your agenda way more important than your to-do list because it's all about people. It's all about relationship. So the other thing that happens is your ears open and you listen. And instead of having your rebuttal ready or you assume, which is easy to do all the, as soon as she gets done, this is what I'm going to say. It's easy to do, but, or assume what they're going to say. You listen to the actual words and it's amazing what you can learn about people, about life, about, about everything. And you find out quickly, we've got a whole lot more in common than we think we do. And people are people all over the world and people are to be loved all over the world. And so love that is patient is fully engaged. I really like that. It's so true because when we're fully engaged versus when we're not, what we hear is so different. Even what we feel or don't feel is different. Because a lot of times you have to truly hear what the person is saying to really feel something as well. And so that is really tough in this day and time. 
But I agree with you. If you think about it from a perspective of love, it's saying, hey, this person is worth stopping and slowing down for and giving them that time and respect. And if you can't do it then, I also think love is a way of saying, I really want to hear what you have to say. Can we talk later if it's not critical or something like that? But letting them know that I want to be fully engaged when we talk. That is a wonderful example, Kim. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point because there are those times that you're on the way to the baseball game and you're going to be late and you can't be because you're the mom with the oranges or whatever <laughs> the case may be. And so there are those times that you have to say, wow, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to actually talk to you, not just run out the door. So mm -hmm. can we talk later is a great way to show that kind of love. Yes. Absolutely. Kim, how has going on this journey to find the true meaning of love, how has it changed your life? It has changed my life dramatically. I like to think that I was a nice person before I went on this journey and that I loved. I love people. I've always loved people. I love hearing people's stories. That, that hasn't changed. But the way I hear people's stories has changed. And what I do with people's stories has changed. And I realize that everybody's born to be whoever they're born to be. Yeah. And they're not looking for my advice. If somebody's looking for my advice, they'll ask for it. Yeah. But learning about love, I realize that you let people be who they are without any judgment, without any criticism. You don't have to give unsolicited advice. It's not your job to fix people. People mm -hmm. control themselves. You have no control over anyone but yourself. So when you approach anybody in any situation, love automatically respects them for who they are and allows that to be without any room for anything else but love. That's amazing. Love automatically respects someone for who they are. Very powerful. And if you just let that sit with you for a moment, it tells you so much. And I can actually see you on this journey, on this quest to find the true meaning of love. Because Kim, even the first time we connected, I felt the love exuding from you. Like you can just tell, I can just tell that you're a lover of all people. And just the way that you talk about your husband and your family and all the things that are important to you, you can tell it's coming from a place of genuine love. I just want people to really understand what that's about because we're living in times where it's tough to really connect with people a lot of people are hurting. A lot of people don't really know what love is. They don't know how to love. They don't know how to accept love. And so there's all these different things at work. And I think someone like you and your book can help, you are helping to really get people to the root of what it's really about. And I just want to thank you again. My my pleasure. I on this new quest mm -hmm. of having a love movement, because I know that real love changes lives. And I know our world would change if everybody lived love the way it's supposed to be lived. Kim, what do you hope people will gain by sharing your story? I hope people will want to figure out love. 
I hope that people will want to look inside and outside and think, gosh, am I really loving people the way I should love them? How many times are we critical when we maybe don't need to be or do something nice for somebody and then are upset when they don't do something nice back because that's not love. That's doing something to get something, right? That's not yes. love. And instead, just having a heart to love, to really be open and love and let the past be in the past. There's so many times we want to hang on to bitterness, anger, resentment, whatever it happens to be. And love doesn't do that. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And so there are so many things about love that if you understand them, then, and if you understand too, it's really our only job. It's not our job to judge. It's not our job to fix people. It's just not. And so when you understand that and just allow people to be who they are. And another thing is stop with a they, that I don't mean that they, as far as a pronoun, mm -hmm. I'm all about they all day long. That's great. <laughs> I mean, the they as in, oh my gosh, you know, them, they um, think this yes. way, they believe mm -hmm. that way they're doing this. Well, they're not doing this and they don't believe that way. There's some people who have names that mm -hmm. believe that way, but we're all individuals yes. and should be respected as individuals and not put in a clump. And automatically you either like them or don't like them because they're part of a group. They're an individual. They happen to be part of a group. They're not a group. They happen to be an individual. Yeah. So look at the individual first. You explained it so well. There's so many people, unfortunately, that have that disconnect. They're not able to separate the two, so to speak. And I just love how you just put it in very simple terms. People are people. We're all individuals. Don't group us together. Don't try to force people into a box because it isn't love. Kim, you also said don't hold on to grudges and bitterness. For people out there that are really struggling in that area, and they may have a very valid reason, but they're holding on to something. And I know that in some way it's making them sick because they're internalizing all of that. But what advice do you have for those people to help them move on and get to love? It's interesting because the whole love doesn't keep record of wrongs. I was nervous about even tackling that one because I, I thought, well, yeah, you might forgive, but you don't forget. You yeah. don't forget the things that happened to you. So I had a very interesting month that month, I have to say. But <laughs> what I discovered about that is absolutely, you don't forget things. You don't forget things from your past. But instead of it being, oh my gosh, that person really wronged me. Oh, that was horrible. And, and be bitter, which we all know and said earlier only hurts you. Yeah. Quite often when you're bitter towards somebody, they have no idea that you're harboring this ill will. They don't even know it. So it's, it's all, all you. It's only on you. Yes, you don't forget, but you can change the narrative. And instead of it being, oh my gosh, this horrible thing that these people did, that person did to me, that group did to me, that whoever you're bitter toward did to me, it can be, gosh, I lived through it. And what did I learn from it? And how did I grow as a person? 
because it's under adversity that we grow the most. And without growth, life would be boring if we weren't allowed to evolve and change and right. Mm -hmm. And so be grateful sometimes for the adversities, but look at the story differently and get rid of the bitterness and you get to pick the narrative. You get to pick it and change it. Don't let somebody else control it for you. That's so true. And a cancer journey will definitely it leads you down that path. It's a great example of you can choose to be bitter and angry about it, or you can look at it and say, what can I get from this? What can I learn from this? How can I be better? How can I help other people? There's so many other positive things that can come out of it. Of course, nobody wants cancer. They don't want to see their loved ones with it. But if you happen to be someone who has to face cancer, I think that's a great way to do it by looking and saying, okay, what good can come out of this? Yes. And I think even during the time that you're facing it, not even just the aftermath or certain times, but for your whole walk, you got to realize that people are watching you and wondering how you're going to react to it. Because probably a lot of the people around you have never heard those words before. And so they're watching you because they're wondering if they got the diagnosis, how would they react? And so you can be an example, even in your chemotherapy chair. It's amazing how, when you start looking outward, that the inward can change. And when you start looking at service and helping somebody else, then the joy that you have in life amplifies. So realize people are watching you and take it seriously. And what can you do good with it? Yes, I could not agree more. It's so true. Kim, I want to segue into the two books that you've written. I've mentioned Love Is, but you've also written another book, Cry Until You Laugh. Please tell us what that book is about and why you wrote that book. Sure. Well, I started writing as a way to update family and friends right after I was diagnosed with cancer. Hey, I'm going to the doctor tomorrow, whatever it happened to be. And instead of making a whole bunch of phone calls, I started writing, but my writing was a lot more than just I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. It's what I was going through emotionally, whatever. It's it's a funny book in a lot of areas. I think you do cry, you do laugh in the book, but I continued to write for a little over a year. In fact, I think my last entry is tomorrow I leave for Haiti. And so I was writing through my husband's diagnosis and through his death and whatever, and about the real stuff. It's just truth about what it feels like and what you go through and choices you make and all that kind of stuff that, that goes on. And titled it Cry Until You Laugh because that's what you gotta do. You gotta get to the point where you let yourself laugh again. And Sure, the tears, of course, we're going to cry. Of course we are. But let yourself laugh too. I believe that laughter is healing also. So you got to find some humor in the tough things, especially that you're going through. It may not be apparent in that moment, but if you can find something a little bit further down the journey, it always helps. It always helps. When I look back and I'm talking with my mom or my friends or my family who was actually there with me when I was going through my cancer journey. And I'll say something 
You know, and it is funny. I, I always start off by saying it's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. And then we'll all just start laughing, like hysterically laughing. So I get what you're saying. I really understand it. And it's so healing, but it's also a blessing to be able to look at something that was so hard and you've come through it when you can laugh. And so I think that's a true testament of faith and hope, but then also healing. Yeah. Laughter is the best medicine, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so true. You got to take the moments to laugh. And I think sometimes I've known people, I've personally known people that have lost somebody or are in the middle of a tough diagnosis and, but especially who have lost somebody and feel like it's dishonoring mm-hmm. in a way to laugh again or dishonoring of their, the heaviness of their disease, like making light of it. If you laugh and neither one of those things are true. There is great and wonderful and powerful and it starts at your toes and bursts out of you. And that's the way it should be. And in that moment, nothing else matters. If you can laugh and, and like you said, I love that. I love that. It's so true. The things that we go through and that at the time we're going, oh my gosh, what is going on? And then later we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they happened. That it's so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so true, but yeah. laughter is the best medicine. Yes. And then also our loved ones or our friends that leave us, that leave before we do, just think about how would they want us to feel? They wouldn't want us to be sad and depressed all the time. They would probably, I'm thinking, or I'll speak for myself, when I leave this earth and my time is up here, the people that I leave behind, I don't want them crying. You know, I want them to think about things that that I may have said or done or fun times that we've had together and laugh hysterically. Because to me, that's honor because we've given each other a gift. Mm. And I think that's what it's about. Yeah, I love that. We have given each other a gift. That is what it's all about. I love that. So true. Yes. Kim, before we end, I like to ask my guests these two questions. You shared a lot with us already, so you may have answered it already, but what is something that you've learned in life that you would like to share with the audience? I have learned that the way I believed when I was 20 and the things that I stood firm on when I was 20 were different when I was 30 and different when I was 40, different when I was 50 and now different now that I just turned 60. And I can tell you that it is okay to change your views. It is okay to evolve as a person. And it's okay to, when you listen to people, hear a whole different side of things and think about it. And maybe what you believe, maybe it shakes it a little bit, but then you can look into it yourself and it's okay to change. It is okay to change your opinion. That it's okay, it's good. It's good to grow. Yeah, so true. And they always say, when you get more information or no information, it's okay to change your mind. I love that because that's what it's about. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to evolve and learn new things. It's not a bad thing. Some people say, oh, that person has changed. I'm sure they have if they're not like you said, 2025 anymore. I hope they have changed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I think sometimes we hear the word change and it can be scary or, oh gosh, you don't want to change. You're, what does that even mean? And what's it going to look like? Because you don't have it all laid out. But change, embrace change, embrace yes. it. Don't shy away from it. Change is good. It's good. Yes. Kim, finally, what is next for you? What is next for me is this mission that I am on to spread love, to help people understand the true meaning of love and help help change the world. I think that there should be a love revolution, mm. love movement. Instead of WWJD, what would Jesus do? And Jesus can be different to different people, right? And so that can be hard to have the same answer for everybody. What would Jesus do? But instead of that, what would love do? And be able to answer that question, understanding love, and then react to things and choose things based on what would love do. Yes. You're doing a great job, Kim. Keep doing what you're doing. The world needs you. We need you. We need more people like you. So thank you for your wonderful mission that you're on. And then also, Kim, there are people out there that want to connect with you. They want to buy your books or they just want to share love with you. Where can they find you, Kim? And where can they find your books? My books are available every online platform, Amazon, everywhere else. And my latest book, Love, is available in brick and mortar stores. It's available in Barnes and Noble and lots of, of other stores. And Love is a pretty easy title to remember, but there's other things called Love is out there, but Love is. And my website is kimsorrell.com. I really need something easier because I'm literally the only Kim Sorrell spelled my way in the entire <laughs> world because there are too many letters in my name, but it's S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E, so kimsorrell.com and kimsorrell.com is my email address. I love hearing from people. I will always respond. And, and people are using my book with their small groups or their mom's groups or as a couple or a couple about to get married or families. It's just really cool to see that families are changing. Couples are changing. People are changing. And I love that. And that's the goal, right? If you're going to try to do it right. And anybody who their book club has done it or their family is doing it or whatever, I'm happy to zoom in for a meeting and, and say, Hey, in fact, if it's someplace really great, I don't know, San Diego, Miami, I might fly there. I might come in person. Who knows? But I'm happy to connect every way that I can connect. And I'm on Facebook, all the social media, of course, too. Wonderful. Thank you, Kim, so much for sharing that information. I will also put it in the listen notes so that the audience can go and uh, go right to your social media, your website, and even email. Kim, I just want to thank you again for sharing your story, for being so vulnerable with us, for being so open with us about love and what you've found love to be on your journey, which is amazing. And also, I want to thank you for educating us because in our day-to-day -day lives, it's so easy to lose the true definition of where's love, things that really matter. And love is something that matters. Love is something that we all need. Thank you so much, Kim. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. My pleasure, Kim. Before we end today, I'd like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you feel the love. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together.
Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you appreciate the show, drop a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For notes from the show, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. After you check out the show notes, head over to my gift shop and show yourself or someone special in your life some love with gifts of encouragement, hope, and positive affirmations. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.